good evening and welcome, dear friends, fans, colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, where we are busy going about manifesting our new normal. Yes, indeed, where you, me, and probably many of our friends uh, could safely call ourselves the cognitive minority. And I keep talking about this because I want this idea, the cognitive minority, to be familiar to you, to just easily roll off your tongue. So you know, you know, maybe why you're a little different than the rest. Because you know what? We're the folks fearlessly advocating for a new normal so the 99% can have a better quality of life. You know, we're here advocating for peace and partnership, for caring and sharing. We're about the we and the us, not the I and the me, which is ultimately where we think we have to lead the planet if we're going to have fairness and justice and equality and a healthy Mother Earth to live on for generations to come. Yes, we are advocating to rid ourselves of predator capitalism, exploitation, domination and oppression and discrimination, all the ills of the world brought about by, yes, oftentimes organized religion, yes, patriarchy, rule of men, and I've said it before and I'll keep saying it, predator capitalism. As Thomas Paine, one of our forefathers, said, we have it in our power to make the world over again. And then feminist Arundhati Roy, she said, another world is not only possible, she's on her way. And on a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. And, as I like to say, the great she is challenging us to do what's right for the most of us, for the sake of humanity and the planet. Sounds like um, we've got lots of noise in the background there. I'm not sure who that is, but uh, it's, if, if we could sort of just keep that down a little bit, that would be great. Um, so, yes, we can make the world a better place. Don't listen to the fear mongers and the naysayers. Uh, follow those of us instead who are blazing a trail with our pink-handled machetes, trying to manifest that new normal. And thanks goes out tonight uh, to Celia uh, for use of her music. And that cut you heard was Please Forgive Us. Yes, it's an appeal to Mother Earth to please forgive us for all the things humanity is inflicting upon her right now. And tonight uh, I have two great guests. Uh, we have Kathy Pagano coming up first. Uh, she uh, is our uh, resident astrologer of sorts. So she's going to be giving us the cosmic story uh, or what the cosmos is uh, cooking up for us in the coming weeks and how it might uh, be relevant to our individual and collective lives. And then our second guest, uh, Charlotte Cressy, is back. Uh, she's an animal liberation activist, educator, ecofeminist, uh, creatrix of Earth Energy Yoga. She's going to discuss embodied love, veganism as a new paradigm of relationship. And, you know, I want you to open your mind when we talk about that topic tonight because this this is more than just you know, an appeal to people to stop eating meat. I think this is really the start of maybe a new mythology for humanity, quite frankly. Think of it like that. Think of it as a new mythology as you hear me talk to Charlotte. Uh, Because, you know, you'll hear in our conversation, we're talking about moving beyond might makes right uh, toward a shift 
uh, to veganism as a new paradigm of relationship. We'll discuss how you can enhance your self a sense of self-love, experience more pleasure uh, on a daily basis, feel connected to nature, uh, dispel feelings of disconnection and separation from the divine and increase your energy, vitality, joy, all with a shift away from our carnivore habits and adoption of a vegan lifestyle. Charlotte's going to explain how the use of animals for food and other products is the most heavily ingrained practice of institutionalized violence, disconnecting us from our compassion and innate love that seeps into all areas of our lives and choices. You know, this is really a pretty heavy subject, and it's you know this is an, an it's like an onion with so many many layers. Charlotte's going to make a case for wholeness as individuals and a global humanity, and the real power each individual has to manifest a revolution of love and create a peace, peaceful world for all beings has. Um, you know, has at its roots. You know, one way of doing that is to shift our lifestyle to eating less meat, eating no meat, you know, to a vegan lifestyle. And we'll we'll talk uh, about uh, about that more, you know, when we have um, Charlotte with us in just a few minutes. Uh, but a couple quick announcements. Um, you know, I um, I don't know for those of you who have met me, uh, I am five foot two, and um, I have sat down a lot for uh, I guess the last uh, ten years writing four books, and uh, you know I have put on weight that I hope to get off this year. That's one of my uh, hopes for 2016. Uh, but I'm saying this because I've tried to start doing yoga. And I'm not like one of these, you know, really thin young women or men who go to yoga class and they don't have any trouble, uh, you know, pulling their knees up and wrapping their arms around their knees or, you know, all of these other moves. You know, all of these moves are very difficult for me because I'm not real limber, I'm not long-limbed, and, you know, I'm carrying this extra weight. So yoga has been a challenge. But I have to tell you, I went to a different type of yoga class this week, and I didn't even know it existed before this week. It's called Nam Yoga, N-A-A-M. And um, I have to tell you, uh, I was I was so impressed because the emphasis isn't so much on being able to uh, put your body in all of those poses. Uh, while you know there are some, you know it's much more of a mind body connection, and you do mudras and you do chants, and it 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 felt much more spiritual, much more metaphysical, and um, it just blew me away. So anyway, I want you to know. About it, and I hope you will Google it. Uh, N A A M Nam Yoga, and I was so impressed. I promised the teacher uh, Anna, um, who is a lovely woman, that I would make an announcement for her because there's something very important coming up that um, everybody around the world can take part in. Um, and, and in fact, more than a hundred thousand people they expect, and I'm sure if it's global, it'll be more than that, are going to gather world to bring love, peace, and light to the planet. And what's going to happen is over the Thanksgiving weekend, thousands of people will gather worldwide to remotely join with the largest existing gathering 
to bring uh, love and light to the earth on Sunday, November 29th at 6.30 a.m. Pacific Time. Uh, people are expected to gather online and in person in Mexico City to practice yoga and chant prayer for the well-being of the planet. The NAM Yoga Organization will provide the platform for people worldwide to participate in a simulcast via live stream, potentially making this year's Love, Peace, and Light event the largest worldwide spiritual gathering in recorded history. Guided by Dr. Joseph Michael Levery, founder of NAM Yoga, an internationally renowned spiritual leader, the Love, Peace, and Light event, or NAM Yoga Superclass, uh, will return to Mexico City at the Angel of Independence Monument. And in the meantime, NAM Yoga Los Angeles will be hosting the free simulcast event at its uh, studio in Santa Monica, California. So basically, you can go to Mexico City, you can go to the Santa Monica class, or you can catch it while they're doing it live uh, over the Internet and join in uh, and do it with them. So um, if you go to Love lovepeacelighttoall.com backslash November 29th. Uh, you will find out more information, uh, it, you know, so that you can tune in and be a part of this uh, historic event. And, you know, doesn't the world need it? Uh, you know, don't we all just need it? So um, I'll save some of the funny stuff Um uh, that uh, Pat sent me for later, and I think we'll just, uh, uh, without any further delay, we'll jump right in and uh, say hello to Kathy. Hey, Kathy, glad to have you back with us. Hi, Karen. Glad to be back. So, um, we, uh, you know, you were telling me before the show that um, there's some interesting things uh, on the horizon, some interesting things, uh, you know, out there in the universe right now that seems to be affecting human, human behavior in a really strange way. Um, so why don't you jump right in and tell us what in the world's going on and why are everybody so paranoid and willing to believe stuff that's just... Uh, I don't know, so crazy. I'm thinking Ben Carson, but <laughs> you you go ahead. Right. <laughs> I've been trying not to pay too much attention um, to them. But, um, yes, well, first of all, well, we'll come back to it later, but today was the new moon in Scorpio on 11-11, and so we have um, that big event that happened. But um, in talking about the delusion that some people seem to be under, and the paranoia, it could be that the, about this aspect that's forming in the sky right now that will, um, that will basically come into what we call perfection, meaning that they line up exactly in a 90-degree in a angle at the end of this month. And it's the planet Saturn, which is about reality and limitations and discipline and focus. In the sign of Sagittarius, which is about our the cosmic laws or our religious beliefs, and so we can either become very dogmatic or we could become responsible and grown-up human beings. Meanwhile, they're in this um, intense, challenging angle of tune in, in Pisces, which is basically um, the energy of the mystical, um, the mysticism of life, whether it's the imagination, dreams, symbols. Um, religion, you know, spirituality. Basically, it's this conflict, and it's a choice. We really have to like make a choice. Are we going to um, 
allow spirit to flow through us according to its own channels, or are we going to be dogmatic about things? And I think maybe somebody like Ben Carr is so dogmatic that the craziness that Neptune and Pisces can make you crazy, okay? Because you can't tell the difference between, you know, reality and non-reality, if you will. Um, and non-reality, you know, the, the, if we go into other dimensions, that's wonderful. But it can suck you in, and that's when you become a crazy person. You have to have a strong enough stance in your own center so that the delusions don't carry you away. It would be like um, in the Odyssey when um, Ulysses sails by the sirens. The unconscious is like a siren call. The imagination calls to us. But it can wreck us. It can kill us. It can drive us crazy. So in the in the story, they had to tie um, Ulysses to the to the um, mast of the ship, and they had to plug up the ears of the sailors so they wouldn't crash on the rocks because of the beauty of the siren song. In the same way, I think you know people are hearing, you know, our, uh, the spirit is so much more tangible right now. Don't you think so? Um, as well as delusion, I, you know, it feels like spirit is operating in us um, clearer, through a clearer channel somehow right now. Well, it's almost like people can't separate spirit from delusion, you know? I mean, yes. I, I mean Ben... Well, that's ben, the unconscious, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ben Carson, I mean, I, he said a few things. I know some of the memes that were on Facebook were, were just made up to sort of punctuate, you know, his absurd... Uh, beliefs and comments, but I mean, the man actually said, you know, the pyramids were built by Joseph to store grain, and I mean, I mean, it just throws everything out the window in terms of, you know, what we've known for years and years, um, you know, what archaeologists have seen, what's written on walls. Now, you know, I've bitched about academia here, but, you know, I will only you know, bitch so far. I don't throw all known knowledge out the window and, you know, create some uh, crazy thing out of, uh, you know, something from nothing or pull it out of my butt, you know, as as my mother right. would say, you know. Um, it, <laughs> and, you know and then, that isn't even it, in the Bible. Joseph in the Bible didn't build pyramids. Um, so the man is delusional. And I think it comes from this dogmatic, this this total fear of spirit, so the dogmatism of belief and of his religion, they can be and delusional. Well, you know, I think if you if if you have in your religion or your whatever, you know, in in your psyche, if you can just totally disregard science, I mean, I mean, how else could they believe in creationism? You know, how else could they think the world is only six thousand years old? I think that's a slippery slope, and maybe that's what we're seeing, because you know, if you can start saying that you know, science, you know, carbon dating doesn't you know it it it's it's not real and then anything could be a reality i mean joseph could be using the pyramids to store grain you know i mean sure. you could really you could really make anything the the new mythology or the new history and that that really scares me that you know that human beings are so f- that fragile um because you know, uh, that starts to make me paranoid because it makes me think, you know, maybe way more people than I ever dreamed are unbalanced. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there's an awful lot of people. And, 
you know, you just talked about Charlotte and uh, all of us creating a new mythology based on ba- um, vegans, veganism or vegetarianism, or I'm not quite sure at what level she's talking about it. Um, you know, but the thing is, we do it because we see meaning in the world. These people refuse to see meaning only in the stories that they read, but then they don't even read the stories right. Because the Bible never says that Joseph built the pyramids. Um, And so, you know, so basically there are a lot of people, I think, who are going through this transit. And um, if you're conscious, you're seeing the symbols and you're understanding what life is bringing to you and and your life becomes meaningful. But if you're unconscious and you're afraid, you're afraid that, um, the world is going to end and God is going to punish you. I mean, if that's your belief system, then you cling tightly to um, it, to the dogma. And then things do become delusional because to fit into the dogma, you have to change really. You have to come up with some strange um, reality of, yes, the world it, you know, was created 6,000 years ago when we all know that it wasn't. And um, yet there's such a fear there that maybe their religion is wrong, that they cling to it even tighter. Isn't that what, um, I think this is just part of, too, the patriarchy going on its way out, just the way the corporations and the politicians are clinging to their power and being mm-hmm. delusional about it. In the same way, these um, these religious fanatics are doing that, too, because they're so afraid that maybe they've given their allegiance to something that's completely wrong that they'd rather kill you and kill themselves than admit it and change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if there's this doubling down on the crazy, you know, uh, like the Republicans trying to say trickle-down economics works, even though when all the statistics show that, you know, you can't, uh, you know, grow grow an economy with austerity because the rich just keep it all for themselves. You know, they don't share uh, in the wealth. Right. You know, but, but, but they won't, you know, they won't face uh, you know, I mean, they won't admit that uh, that reality. And, I mean, there's so many, um, you know, things like that, that they're so invested. And, you know, it's difficult. You know, I mean, I see it in our own community where, um, you know, like one of the struggles going on right now, you know, among some groups is, you know, can we and how do we um, embrace maybe transgenders or maybe even be more inclusive of men in some of the women-only circles? And, you know, it's hard to um, to shift gears, and if you've believed something all along, to suddenly say, well, you know what, we have to evolve. This is a living tradition, and maybe we did it like this yesterday and 10 years ago, but maybe that's not 100% right for tomorrow. And I think that takes courage, you know, um, to be willing to, you know, to have a living tradition and not one that's just you know, carved in stone and never changes. And so if I I guess what I'm saying is I can see the fear in our own community to make just this minor little shift. So imagine trying to get all these evangelical people to, you know, open their eyes to one day that, gee, you mean the world isn't really 6,000 years old? And, you know, Joseph didn't use the pyramids to store grain. Um, Yeah, I mean, you're you're asking for a lot from these people, really. That's right. 
And the scary thing is that there's a lot of people that are in that. I mean, look at all of these people that are running for the Republican in the Republican Party. One after the other, they're just different components of the same negative, fearful ideology um, mm-hmm. of patriarchy at its end. Okay, and and so they're lot. You know, it's full of lies and deceit, and yet they're convincing people to go against their own interests because. Most of the people that vote for them aren't in the 1%. They're the 99%. They're probably the lowest part of the 99%, and, yes, and yet they go against themselves. And this is, this is what this year is about, which is interesting since we're going to have the election in a year and um, the third and final square between Saturn and Neptune will happen next fall. And what it is is it's about truth or, truth or reality. What's reality and what's the truth? And uh, there are many dimensions of reality, and we know that as we get conscious and we meditate and we open our hearts to love, we know that um, there's many dimensions. It's like the fairy realm. You know, here's our realm, but if we just look out of the corner of our eye, maybe fairy appears, you know. We know these things. We know that there's magic all around us. Um, And yet people, most Christians and most other religions have tried to cut that out. This is the only reality, and then heaven or hell. So it's very structured. And when those structures start to dissolve and turn into chaos, people panic, and they get crazier. They get crazier. So, you know, this is the big target for all of us conscious people. How do we use images and you, and work with the imagination to tell a better story about what's going on in the next year than the crazy people who are making up strange stories about what's going on and lies, you know, basically lies. So how can we use imagery to tell the truth rather than let them get away with telling, using images to tell lies? Yeah. Well, and, and that might now, be and one what, of the ways. Well, and what was the deal um, this week with the Starbucks cup? Well, you know, I hadn't really paid much attention to it, but when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about tonight, I thought, there's a perfect image. I guess Starbucks didn't put Merry Christmas on their cup or a snowflake or a reindeer. Instead, they just, they wanted it. I I read some ridiculous statement about, well, we wanted people to imagine their, well, in a way, interesting you know, give it their own meaning. Imagine their own interpretation, which is, in a way, what we were just talking about. So good for them. Um, but it didn't sound, it sounded just a little bit too hippy-dippy, um, too new-agey to uh, make sense when I first read it. But now that I'm saying it again. But I guess because they didn't put a Christmas image on their cup, everybody's picking on them and saying they're against Christianity and Christmas. Hmm. And that's what I mean by stuck ideology and symbols. They've turned a symbol into a sign, okay? A a round circle on a Starbucks cup has now become a sign of of hating Christianity and hating Christmas because there's no snowflake or a reindeer on it. Yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, it's the top. It's the tired old the war on Christmas um, meme that uh, you know that that they constantly dredge up this time of year because they you know they're they, even though they control everything you know they think they're the victims. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's well, kind of like the, the liberal media that doesn't rule, exist. 
Right. They did rule the, you know, Christmas ruled the time of year. I've always said we should just say we're turning all the holidays into Earth holidays. So winter solstice instead of Christmas. And enjoy whatever holiday and call it whatever you want. But basically Mm. we're celebrating winter solstice. (laughs) The return of the light to the world, which is symbolically what is happening in every single one of our celebrations. So, you know, they, in a way, they're feeling like we're taking it away. And this is, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've noticed this in my practice and in my own life and with men and women. If in a marriage, let's say in a marriage between a man or a woman, you might start off, especially people in my generation, not knowing who you are, not doing, not feeling very self-confident. And then as you come into your power as a woman, the man thinks that you're taking something away from him. Instead of saying, yay, I finally have a together conscious woman, they think, who are you and what are you doing? And give me back my subservient woman. Um, and so there's this sense of we're taking, they, they feel that loss of you're not giving me supreme power anymore, and I don't want to share power. And so now I'm going to cry and say it's all your fault. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen in marriages as a woman gets more conscious. A man doesn't want to come along with it or doesn't know how or whatever. And then instead of saying there's something wrong with me, they turn the finger and point to the woman and say, you have taken away something from me. How could you do that? Mm. That's the typical, you know, when one spouse outgrows the other spouse kind of a thing, I think. Yeah. And we've outgrown having a monotheistic religion whether it's Christianity, it's Judeo-Christianity, Islam. They're all the same, okay? Yeah. They all come from the same root. So, And it's the same vibration, just on a, you know, different vibrations of the same energy, let's say. Um, and so we're finally going and saying, you're not the boss of us anymore. And they yeah. do not like it. You yeah. Know, you are well, not there was... our, you're, you're not our arbitrator. Um, you're, you no longer mediate spirit to us. We're free. And um, and that goes against the grain, and I think that makes them even a little bit crazier. Well, you know, on uh, I, I watch CBS Morning News, uh, you know, occasionally, and I think it was last week uh, there was a story about how millennials, um, you know, more and more are rejecting organized religion. Well, well, we knew that, but to see it on the CBS Morning News, that you know, that felt significant. I can imagine the people shaking in their boots, you know, uh, in, in other parts of the world, you know, but uh, or, or even other parts of the country, and you know, because and they were showing this married couple who um, instead of having a priest or a rabbi to marry them because they said, you know, this priest and rabbi doesn't really know us. You know, he's impersonal to us. We want our friend to marry us. So the friend went to Universal Life Church on the Internet and got his minister's, uh, you know, certificate to be able to legally marry them. And, you know, that apparently is a new trend among the millennials, you know. Yeah. and, and, and I will probably see a lot more of that kind of thing, uh, I think, as maybe, you know, the millennials, um, you know, as, as the uh, the old guard dies away and the millennials come in. And I, I really hope, you know, make the world a more inclusive, um, you know, a more inclusive, a better place than they found it, quite frankly. But we'll see. I mean, look what happened to the hippies. We thought the hippies... You know, uh, peace and love and all of that, but they're the, you know, they're the predator capitalists now. So <laughs> let's hope right. the millennials well, some of them are. 
okay? Yeah. Some of them are, okay? Half of our generation and the other half became conscious. I would vote for that, so I am going to stand up on that one. Half of them became predatory capitalists, and the other half of us, okay, became spiritual seekers. And so... And so you can't have, you know, a generation isn't all one thing. It's it's a combination of both. And, um, yeah, and the thing is that the big square that went on for the last few years, now is the time it's going to start to manifest. You're seeing it. Um, I want to suggest something to people, too. This sat- Friday and Saturday, they're going to have 24 hours of reality and live earth. It's going to be like a around-the-world concert and talk about um, everybody standing up for climate change um, so that the Climate Council that's meeting in Paris in the beginning of December will understand that there are billions of people in the world that are saying to them, fix it. Don't don't bowl around. It's time that we fix the climate. And um, I don't know if they're going to have things like send in your vote, you know, give us a a billion signatures. I have no idea what they're going to do. But um, that's something else that we really need to be paying attention to, how everybody, how different groups are banding together so that we as, as a giant community, as one world, is standing up to the old, to the patriarchy. So, um that's all that's all happening and it's and I think there's a lot of hope there. Even though there's yeah. a lot of crazy people, crazy people come at the end. Um they they become delusional and they want to end the world. They'd rather annihilate the world than let it change. And yeah. it's up to the rest of us to say no, that's not going to happen. And I think that's what this new moon today was about. It is about coming into our own personal sort of um you know, dealing with our shadow, but also um, the image for the new moon today was a woman pulling back the veils to this path to the sacred. And I really feel like um, there's something shifting right now, and we are going to step up to our stewardship of the earth and also of each other. You know, like the um, comp- like the um, worldwide meditation you were talking about at the end of the month. I think things like that are going to be much more prevalent in our society. Yeah. Yeah, there was an article today that I posted on my Facebook page. Uh, they said, uh, and I mean, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't know how to vet this article, but I've, this is the first time I've seen an article like this. Because President Obama vetoed that pipeline, they said that they think this is the beginning of a turning point on the climate change issue. You know, so you know, I, I, I've I've said we're in the middle of the evolution, and this is what it looks like to live in it every day. And um, wouldn't it be wonderful if we really start to see things escalate on a, um, you know, in, in a quick way? And and I keep thinking, gee, what if we really do get Bernie Sanders elected as president? Wouldn't that be something? I mean, look at Trudeau well, up in up in Canada. Up in Canada. Well, you know, if. I know a lot of people who say, well, I bother to vote. It's not worth it. It's all owned. You know, it's a, it, it, the vote doesn't count. And the thing is, that's why Republicans win. Mm. Um, that's why the Republicans won in a lot of around the nation. And just a couple, last week, they, they took over, unless there was voting fraud, which probably there was, because I heard that the, um, that the, um, 
the polls beforehand said that the Democrat was going to win and then the Republican won by a landslide. So once again, it could be voter fraud. But, um, you know, people, we need to be, we need to, to see that we are part of a society and unless we participate through the tools in our society to change our society, um, it's just going to get worse. And, of course, Republicans vote. Okay. Yeah. A lot of young people and liberals and Democrats don't. And then we bitch and moan about what's going on in the world. So we to be good stewards of our earth and our lives, that means we do have to step up, whether it's just at the supermarket helping somebody in a kind way or actually, you know, voting for Bernie Sanders and working. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, well, you know, I had this guest on last week, and, you know, he used to be in the Clinton administration, and he was talking about, you know, he would like to see Bernie win and uh, let Bernie be elected, but he don't think he's electable. You know, and I said, you know, it's that kind of thinking that uh, that stymies us, you know. Uh, Why? Oh, I think uh, I think we got disconnected from Kathy. Well, maybe she will call back. I know she was having problems with her connection, and I had a feeling maybe she dropped out. Um, okay, if she doesn't call back in, uh, we will move on to Charlotte in just a second here. But I'm going to give her a chance to maybe call back just in case, um, and I will do that by sharing a couple quick little jokes uh, that uh, a longtime listener, uh, Pat, sent in. Uh, these are pagan uh, jokes and bumper stickers, and I thought some of them were actually cute. And uh, anyway, I thought I would share a couple with you. And here's the first one. It says, "What do you get when you cross a Zen Buddhist and a Druid? You get someone who worships the tree that is not there." Okay. What do you call 13 witches in a hot tub? A self-cleaning coven. What's the difference between New Age and Pagan? About $500 a weekend. The definition of saint, a dead liberal who is worshipped by living conservatives. Uh, When God created men, she must have been drunk and horny. That's a bumper sticker. And um, what's a witch's favorite subject in school? Spelling, as in spells, spelling. Um, Atheism is a non-profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, organization. Another good bumper sticker. Um, If ignorance is bliss, why aren't more people happy? Um, wasp, we are sexy pagans. Another bumper sticker, practice safe hex, H-E-X. Another bumper sticker, I'm doing my part to piss off the religious right, or you. And uh, what do you call a dating club for unattached Wiccans? Craft singles. Okay, that's enough. But I don't know. Maybe they were funnier the first time I read them, but uh, I don't know. I I still think they they warrant a chuckle. So, uh, uh, well, I know Kathy probably figured we were at the... um, 
at the end of her time, and we were going to have to say goodbye to her anyway. So I will save um, uh, what I was going to say to her uh, till next week, but I'll give you a little hint and let you in on it. I am going to ask her to start looking at uh, Hillary Clinton's chart and Bernie Sanders' chart and in the, in the chart for the United States and see if she can make any predictions about what is going to be happening next year uh, and in the election. Now, I know a lot of astrology is open to interpretation. Uh, wait, that might be her. I think she's back. Hi, or is that you? Are you back? Yes, I am. I apologize. Um, I live in a strange zone. Sometimes That's okay. there's no communication possible. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I'll so, tell yeah, you. I'll, so, go ahead. No, you go. Go ahead. Well, I forgot where we left off, to tell you the truth, because I, I, I read some pagan jokes and bumper stickers, um, you know, to give you a little bit of time to, to call back in. Uh, and, you know, we had a little bit of fun with that. But what I was saying to listeners um, that I was going to ask you, um, you know, next time you came on, but since, you, you, since you're back with us now, I wondered if we could task you with something. Um, I, is it possible um, if, you know, when you have time, and obviously, you know, we don't need this next time you come on, but in the coming months, um, I was wondering if you could do a chart on Bernie Sanders and Hillary or the United States and see if we have any indicator um, that might sort of, you know, tip us in one direction or another, or are those things really just not that prophetic? Well, they are, and a lot of astrologers do them, and... Um I read I read up on Hillary Clinton's uh, um, chart, and I can do it another time. Um, but it, it but it was the interesting thing that this person said. I can't remember where I read it. Was that whoever was elected next would only be a one-term president? Um, but that makes a little bit of sense because by 2020 things are really going to shift, and um, perhaps even if it's Bernie Sanders, one maybe one term will be enough. Um, yeah. If it's Hillary Clinton, maybe one term will be enough. Um, the, the old adage was that you know the Republicans would shift and the Democrats shift. You know, so I don't. I I really haven't paid attention to those kind of trends. But I think that the come if if we actually do evolve as we are hoping to, I think that um, I think that our democracy will change a little and it might go. It might get better. So who knows what will happen. But definitely, I'll definitely look it up, and maybe I'll even, if I find any articles, I'll link it to you, and you can maybe put it on your um, on your site as well. Okay. Well, and, you know, the the, one, the idea of a one-term president, um, you know, Bernie is, is, you know, Bernie is, is not young. I mean, he's, you know, really? he's not he's not too old to be president, but he pro- you probably couldn't get two terms out of him. So that's kind of interesting, you know. Wouldn't it be yes. something if um, Bernie was the pro- – if, if, if the ticket ran Bernie as president, Hillary as vice president, and then the next time around, then Hillary could be president. But maybe that would be too much to hope for. But um, <laughs> and, and I don't know, would Hillary – You never know. Would would Hillary be willing to run as a vice president? I, I don't know. I mean, somehow I can't imagine her ego doing that, but um, – uh, that no, would be a dream I can't ticket. <laughs> right. Well, well unfortunately, listen, I... she she's too much involved 
with that, tra- you know, the, the new trade agreement is the new world order that George, Papa Bush talked about in the 90s. Um, it gives the, the, um, tra- the Pacific, the TPP, that, mm-hmm. that gives corporations total power over any country in the world. Yeah. If any country makes a law that says that a corporation can't pollute and the corporation can take them to a secret court and say, you owe me $8 billion because that's how much profit you're going to cost me. So basically it's a giveaway of the world to corporations. And um, and no matter what Barack Obama says or Hillary Clinton, it's bad. And Bernie Sanders is one of the only ones talking about how bad it is. I don't think Hillary would agree with a lot of his policies, so I don't think she'd be his vice president. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Well, um, I I, uh, I, I want to give you a chance We've gone to... over. That's okay. That's all right. Don't worry about yeah. it. Um, but um, I, I know I sort of hijacked you a little bit tonight and, and took conversation, you know, maybe away from what you wanted to talk about. Let, I, I wanted to give you a chance before we say goodbye to you tonight. Was there anything you wanted to mention that um, I didn't give you a chance to, um, to to say yet? I would just say this is a time for if you're spiritual, if you have a spiritual discipline, to ask for images, to ask for um, wisdom that comes through um, the right brain, the feminine brain. It's the it's our feminine right brain that is going to give us answers right now. So I would just say um, the cosmic story is saying pay attention to your dreams and try to understand them as metaphors and as symbols. Um, look at your life and see the symbolic value of it. Um, tell yourself a new story. I think that's what the, the, the universe is saying to us. And if you live in a place where there's no clouds, there's going to be meteor showers tonight. And um, and I think for the next few days, like tomorrow night, meteor showers. And um, there's a couple of them this month. So, you know, go out and look at the universe. Tonight I met I met a woman I knew in you know 20 years ago and she reminded me that back in the 90s I when we were doing town planning I said but we need to look at light pollution you know we got to be able to see the stars and she said back then we thought I thought you were weird but now I think you're really <laughs> but now we're talking about it and now you're right you know mm-hmm. so go out and make use of Mother Earth and she'll feed us I think that's the most important thing right now. Yeah, that helps us uh, feel that interconnection, doesn't it? You know, get from behind the yeah. computer and uh, go out there in nature. Well, Kathy, um, how do uh, listeners find you if, um, you know, they want to read your, you know, your monthly cosmic report or avail themselves of any of your readings or all of the different things that you do? Well, you can find me on Facebook at Kathy with a C, Pagano, Pagan with an O. And um, you can also find me at wisdomofastrology.com, but put dashes in the middle of that. And you'll see all the different things I do. I do dream work and astrology and spiritual coaching and all the many, many things that all of us do. Um, But right now, the most important thing is to understand symbolic language. And, um, And if you need help with that, that's what I'm good with. Okay? Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much. Um, You have a a wonderful Thanksgiving because I know we won't be back together uh, until probably December uh, or January. We'll we'll chat about the next time uh, you're going to come back on. Uh, But, uh, you know, I hope... 
hope you have a, a, a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh and uh you know you're you're just filled with gratitude and appreciation and abundance because we know when we're that way then it just comes to us all the more. It does. So blessings on you two. Have a beautiful, uh, wonderful Thanksgiving and a wonderful month. Okay. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, well, I want to thank Charlotte for her uh, patience. Um, uh, we did go a little long with uh, Kathy tonight with the technical glitch and uh, uh, and stuff. But uh, um, Charlotte, I've uh, I've unmuted you, so I wanted to say uh, welcome to the show and uh, thanks for being back to talk about. Uh, I think this sort of cutting edge uh, new mythology. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. I've been listening to your discussion with Kathy and everything you're talking about. Veganism is the antidote to all of the problems in the world. It's a practice and a philosophy that takes a stand for the full flourishing of life. Well, well, let me ask you this, and and you know, I don't know that we've you know we've ever you know kind of gone down this road before. Uh, have you always uh, you know believed in veganism, and have you always been an animal activist, or did something take you there? You know, was this an evolution for you, or did you just um, you know did you start out life that way? I would say both. So when I was three years old, my best friend was my dog, Lindsay, and we spoke the language of love, and she was a beautiful white German shepherd, and when I would look into her eyes, I could see that she was a person and she had a soul. And I had these toys that had words like chicken and cow and things like that, things like that on them, and then my parents were serving me things with the same name on our dining table. So I had these cute toys, and I would think, oh, like, you know, those animals are so cute. And then what is this? Flesh. It didn't make sense to me because my parents taught me to treat our dog as if she were, you know, their firstborn daughter. She, Her needs mattered. And she was a person, too, just not a human person. So it started when I was three, and I started, um, my parents served me a hamburger, and I said, did a cow have to die for the for me to eat this, and they were like, yes, honey, and I pushed it away and said, I'm not going to eat that anymore. So I had this awareness from a young age, but my parents, my pediatrician, didn't know anything about nutrition, so I was pretty much forced to keep eating chickens and turkeys till I was seven, and at that point, I asserted myself and realized I didn't have to listen to them, and I could say no. So, um, But it was a process, because I also grew up in a family that fox hunts, so Meanwhile, I was vegetarian. I also participated in fox hunting, which is, you know, riding on horseback while the hounds kill the innocent fox and coyotes and all kinds of other animals along the way. And so my point is that I know what it's like to be, on the one hand, drawn toward a kinder way of life, but then also being in the culture and in the social, in the, um, when your family is involved in things like that and when the culture is so entrenched in the use and abuse of animals, it's hard to break free. And it was hard for me to stop fox hunting because it was such a part of what my family did. But um, over the course of a few years, then I became a vegan and I started getting into activism 
actually, I think when I was about nine, I started making phone calls, for example, to the Jello company about the fact that they have pigs and horse hooves in their Jello and they could switch to a plant-based gelatin. <laughs> so, you know, I was involved in activism uh, from a young age. I became fully vegan when I was 13. I started doing public speaking about this in high school. And, um, yeah, so I would say it has been my life's passion um, from a young age, I started reading about animal rights and veganism. I was really fortunate. My parents allowed me to explore materials that were really meant more for adults. I would order slaughterhouse videos and read books, you know, high-level philosophy, and trying to understand why people do this to animals. And so it's definitely why I'm here on this planet. It's my passion and my purpose. Well, well, I'm impressed. I I didn't know this went back uh, that far uh, for you. And, you know, kudos to you, I mean, for having, an, you know, such an incredible awareness, you know, so early on. And in a way, you know, it was, well, you know, I, I, I can maybe say it's maybe it's almost easier for you because you, you know, didn't have a, a lot of bad habits. Um, you know, it, it didn't really become a way of life for you like, um, you know, being a carnivore is for, you know, so many other people. Um, do you think Do you think maybe or? No, I think it's easy. Um, I hear what you're saying because I have been doing it for a long time. Maybe, maybe uh, I'm overly optimistic about, you know, I really believe that we are going to be vegan in 50 to 100 years as a culture and hopefully sooner rather than later, but um, I don't think that's because I'm deluded into thinking it's easier than it is. I think once you take a look at animals, when you really see animals as people, then you your whole worldview starts to change, and mm-hmm. it shifts the way that you think of them and the way you think of yourself. It really changes your whole way of relating to your own thoughts, your own feelings, to any being who has a body. So, and plus, I mean, now in 2015, it's so easy. It's really easy. It's really simple to live vegan. And I want to really emphasize it's not a diet. It is an entire philosophy about honoring all of life. Well, and and you know, I haven't. I, I have to admit, you know, I haven't been back to New Orleans for a very long time. Um, but I have to tell you, I, I wonder. It might not be as easy in every place as it is in Los Angeles, you know, because I think about what it was like living in New Orleans. You know, when growing up in New Orleans, you know, uh, uh, eating vegetables. I mean, we fried our vegetables. You know, uh, eating a salad was iceberg lettuce. Um, you know, it it, it Corn, you know, corn, uh, I mean, as bad as corn is for you, you know, that was uh, maybe the vegetable you ate. You know, it wasn't about, you know, uh, vegetarianism and, um, you know, all of the different vegetables and, uh, you know, things that we get used to here. You know, I think maybe because we have so many more cultures, you know, here in Los Angeles that bring in so many other uh, you know, different um, cuisines and, uh, you know, that, that give us more of an opportunity to taste, uh, you know, 
foods from people who who don't have so much meat in their diet. I mean, I think that gives us some variety. But I but I, I wonder if in you know in everywhere in the country, uh, it's as easy as that. And and I just say that because I I, I know how limiting. Um, you know how hard it was for us when Roy and I went back to New Orleans uh, to actually be able to just find a decent salad, you know, um, or to find decent vegetables. You know, everything was either the only thing you could maybe find were steamed vegetables, and they were steamed so much they were mush. Um, you know, I but I hear you. I mean, it's worthwhile. Um, I'm just thinking of it from a practical perspective that um, uh, it. it it might not be so simple um for everybody but it's it but when you think about you know all the reasons to change i mean obviously if we started thinking about all the factory farm animals the way we do our dogs and cats who we you know we love like a, a member of our family you know and they're our children or they're our friends or um you know if if we started thinking of factory animals that way that would create a shift or if that mm-hmm. doesn't float float your boat you know you have the whole reason that um you know it uh, you know eating meat is contributing to um climate to the problems with the climate because of all what is it the methane gas that's created yeah i, I think talk about I would that love a little to share bit. more about the environment too i have you know i've gathered some ideas together for our talk but um as far i want to go back to what you said about it being easy so firstly it is really easy Everything, everyone who eats, whether you call yourself an omnivore or vegetarian or whatever it is that you're eating, everyone eats fruits and vegetables and grains, right? They're everywhere. And so it's, um, the choice to eat healthy might be more difficult whether you're choosing to eat vegan or not. So it's really about taking, in terms of health, because, you know, veganism is not really a health thing in and of itself, it can be a healthy thing, but I'm here to talk about it in terms of its um, influence for our social and political uh, life. But anyway, so if you want to be healthy, you have to take your health into your own hands. So you're talking about like being at restaurants and not being able to find something to eat. So any any grocery store in the country, you're going to be able to find fruits, veggies, grains, and beans. So Definitely it might take more time to do the preparation, but it's definitely something you can do. I also want to say that I think the biggest block is mental and emotional. We have been brainwashed, indoctrinated into believing that you have to fight to get by, that this is a survival of the fittest type of world, and all those ideas come down to eating animals. And this goes back thousands of years. This is part of the patriarchal mindset. And I want to mention, as I'm going through tonight and talking about patriarchy, this is the rule of men. But I don't mean to say or point the finger at men. This isn't about blaming men. It's about lifting everyone up and pointing out that patriarchy does impact us all. But the patriarchal mindset is the idea that you have to kill to live. You have to kill animals. And so... I think that getting past that mental block might be difficult for people in going vegan, but um, people have been doing this for centuries. In fact, the early vegetarians were called Pythagoreans until about the 1850s. 
you are associated with the philosopher who we all know from the Pythagorean theorem, Pythagoras, because he was a vegetarian. And philosophers for many, many years have been talking about this. Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, not to say that I uh, support all their politics. Many of these were very anti-female people. But uh, Leonardo da Vinci, for example, he was a genius, you know. He would go to the markets where these birds were kept in cages and he would free them. So people have been objecting to the use of animals before we even got to the state that current farming is in with factory farming. Just the simple use and abuse that is involved in owning, herding, all those types of things, people have been objecting to that because it's wrong, because it violates bodily integrity. Anyone who has a body prefers to make their own choices in terms of who they live with, how they go about their days, and animals that are kept in captivity, animals that we eat, their wishes, their choices, their preferences are all denied them. And as we injure them, we're injuring ourselves. So when we perceive animals as inferior, less intelligent, when we see them as unworthy of love, and when we impose torturous cruelty on them, we're imposing torturous cruelty upon ourselves because we, human beings, are empathetic beings. Our body is built for empathy. You've probably heard about this, Karen, right, with the mirror neurons and how empathy is built into every cell of our being. And when we see someone else get hurt, it hurts us. When we see someone in need and we help them, it feels good. So this is a natural this is a natural state of humanity. And I believe that right now the moment is ripe with potential for helping people reclaim our embodied love and remember that bodies do not deserve to be punished or harmed or any of that just for, you know, someone else to get a meal. You don't we don't have to kill animals. This is a lie. We don't have to use them for dairy and eggs. And that lie that idea that you have to kill to get by, that idea that survival of the fittest is about cruelty rather than cooperation, that is manifesting itself in war. It's manifesting itself in the awful economic disparities where so many people are going starving, going hungry, many starving to death each year. This is uh, We see this in the way that we relate to the natural world. We see ourselves as disconnected from nature. It's because we're cutting ourselves off from our natural empathy, our natural connection with our body from a young age. Our body, our feelings, our sensations, they're all meant to point us in the the direction of happiness, joy, and cooperation. But when we start cutting this off at a young age, because most kids don't want to eat meat, if you put a baby in a crib with an apple and a bunny rabbit, what will that baby do? She will play with the bunny rabbit and eat the apple. That's just natural. We don't choose to eat animals. We are indoctrinated into it. So veganism is really a powerful antidote against all of these manifestations of the might-makes-right mentality. 
Well, you know, I, I really like the direction um, you're taking this in because, you know, one of my, you know, pet subjects right now is, you know, we need to rewrite the stories um, because we need new stories and stories shape our culture. And, you know, I like that you're, the, you know, that that you're emphasizing this because, you know, you're you're really forcing us to rethink. Um, I think what we've been doing for a long time, just really very unconsciously, um, and uh, you know, this—I don't know—I I guess I, I just want you to give yourself credit for, you know, what an evolutionary thing um, that you're doing here, because I—I I think, you know, you're not just saying, you know, do this for the environment or, uh, you know, do this because it's the right thing. I mean, you know, we're. You're saying, you know, do this because, you know, it will make you a better human being. You know, it it is a, um, you know, it will enhance your life. It goes beyond, uh, I, I guess the, the the reasons that we've heard up until now we should maybe not continue to be carnivores. If if you know what I mean, it's been for our mm-hmm. health. It's been it's been for the environment. It's been, uh, you know, so animals, you know, in factory farms don't suffer. But but you're really talking about you know uh, you know uh, sort of even raising the bar even more because you're saying that it, it, if we do this. Um, it enhances our own life. That it uh, it it is a, a like you say a new paradigm of relationship. Um, you know, I think it calls us to be uh, in, in you know and I'm, I'm struggling for the words here. But I, I I think it enhances you know it enhances our own life. It's not just about the the other message is sort of feel like they're about deprivation, you know, or maybe Mm. they're about uh, trying to get us to maybe do the right thing. Um, But you're saying, you know, you're saying um, do the right thing because it it is really better for you. Um, I I don't know. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if I'm kidding. (laughs) Absolutely. You you probably have a better way of conveying it, you know, because you've been talking about it. But, you know, I wanted to – You know, I I wanted to sort of punctuate this because I feel like what you're doing is really taking the idea of veganism, you know, to a new place, to a different level, and you're making a new argument um, for why this will, you know, not just be good for animals, not just be good for the planet, but it will, you know, but it will be good for us beyond just, you know, so we don't get clogged arteries, you know. Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing about it is it's for everything. It is for health and it is for the animals and it is for the environment and it is for your meditation to be even better, (laughs) you know, when you're out in nature so you feel even more connected to nature. But this is also about humanity and looking at the direction that we're going in and we have an opportunity here to course correct and to get ourselves back in alignment with what really feels good. Because one of the things we see in modern uh, sexuality is we see the issues that we impose upon animals onto human beings. So there's a lot of confusion right now in male-female relationships about sex and pleasure. And many people are conflating 
pleasure with punishment. And this all goes back to the use of animals. And like you were saying, it's about changing our mythology. And we have a mythology that has constructed humanity as male and has constructed male as the hunter. So I'll go into the sexuality thing for a second, but I think I should explain this, what it means to be male in our culture and how that is constructed. So some people call it the man box, and that means that inside this box there are certain categories or cer- certain um, adjectives, descriptives. So you have to be tough, you have to be uh, macho, you have to not cry, be manly, um, be domineering, be controlling, all these things that the culture says you should be. Where do those come from? Those come from our use abuse of animals. And I use the term use abuse because I want to emphasize that anytime you use an animal, there is abuse involved. Factory, I mean, um, family farming, free range, cage free, that is all an atrocity. It's all abuse. So use abuse. Okay, so part of the reason that we have the ideal of men as the hardened, unemotional, rational, logical human is because of the way that humans have used animals for the past 10,000 years. So that's in animal agriculture, the herding culture. Before that, we had gatherer hunters. Now, we currently construct gatherer hunters as hunter-gatherers as if the hunters were playing the primary role. The truth is that 80% of the diet was composed of what the females gathered, in other words, nonviolent foods, and the 20% was the male um, was gathered, was killed by the men. And so what they realized was, and this is, of course, conjecture, but this is based on the stuff I've read of anthropology. So what happened was we went from hunting and gathering, gathering and hunting, and seeing ourselves as part of this larger picture of nature and seeing ourselves as one with the earth and working in harmony. When we went to owning and herding animals, a major shift occurred. They started following around these herds, befriending some of the animals, and then betraying them by killing the parents and then domesticating the babies. So what happens when you do that to an animal, when you befriend them and get them to trust you, and then you decide to kill the parents? That is not a kind thing to do. And that has an impact on the emotional life of the person partaking in that and the culture partaking in that. And then with herding, so we have this, like, idealized image of tribes as being, you know, herding their animals or even of shepherds. We even have Jesus the shepherd as if shepherding is a kind, nonviolent thing. But actually, in order to control the mobility of any animal, you have to beat them, you have to use force and fear. Early herders used methods such as cutting the eyeballs out of the animals so they wouldn't stray too far. Later on, when they had rope, tying the animals' legs together, hobbling, which we see replicated in females with high heels, another form of hobbling. So we have this control of animals. And as men started to construct political structures around owning animals, they, the ideology of owning another being began to rise, and then women became property, humans became property, so we had animals were the first chattel, and then women and other people. So 
all of these ideas about what it means to be male and masculine, I'm talking about the negative aspects of it that our culture indoctrinates us into, those are all reinforced with meat eating. And that's why it's considered manly if you hunt and if you fish and if you can cut yourself off from your feelings enough to go out there and skin it yourself. And, you know, we see men at the grill tending to that flesh on the barbecue as if that's like the tough guy thing to do. And then women are constructed as subservient, submissive, passive, um, they're supposed to be quiet, all these things that stand in opposition to being male. So we have the male as the dominator and the female as the submissive. And then we also have humans constructed in opposition to animals. So in the case of dominator submissive, we have humans constructed as the dominator, animals as the submissive, and those whose bodies are um, objectified by humans. So this plays out today in when you eat animals, you're reinforcing this violence and you're reinforcing this gendered hierarchy every time you sit down to eat because dairy on the dairy farms, they impregnate the cows on what they call the rape rack. That's what they actually call it on the farms because they literally rape the cows. They Okay, I'm not going to explain it, what they do exactly, but it's it's sad. And then we look to our pop culture, and we have songs like Britney Spears, I'm a Slave for You. We have Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a hugely popular book that came out last year that is sexualizing and um, fetishizing violence. And so the torture of animals and the torture of women, the sexualization of animals, the sexualization of women, these actually go hand in hand. The practices of punishment-based sexuality that is common in pornography and is common in rape and the violence inflicted on women, all of these practices come out of the torture of animals. So if you you look to... Well, you know, Charlotte, this is is really fascinating, and I've never heard you talk about it in this depth before, but you're you're really teaching me something tonight, and it it just sort of struck a chord, I have to say. You know how when you watch these shows, um, uh, you know, know, these different TV shows where they have serial killers or something, and they always say a sign that, uh, you know, that a young child may grow up to be a serial killer killer is if you know uh, or or some sort of a killer is if he you know if he tortured animals as a child and i i i'm just you know making that connection from what you just said so i mean that's an extreme example you know obviously but i but i hear what you're saying now and and i and you know, I thought I knew a lot about this, but you know, you're you're informing me even more tonight. So it 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 sorts it starts to make us um, desensitized. Um, you know, when you know, if we can do this to animals, then the next step is woman, or the next step is somebody who's not like us. It's a, it's sort of a, de, a desensitization that starts to happen. That uh, you know, that leads us down this path uh, of of violence and torture and disconnection. 
Absolutely, yeah. I like to call that disconnection disembodied logic. So I believe embodied love is the natural state. And so, of course, veganism and other mindfulness practices help us return to that embodied love. But the disembodied logic, it's a way of thinking where we justify and rationalize the things that we're doing when we're involved in violence. And so it keeps us out of the body and in the realm of thought. So we have stories like, I used to say this myself about eating chickens because I, I, buy it, I bought into the, um, to the lie. I would say to people, people would say to me, oh, so you don't eat pigs and cows, but you'll eat chicken? And I would say, yeah, chickens are stupid, chickens are stupid. That was like my refrain. So that was my disembodied logic. It was like the story I told myself so I wouldn't have to feel how I really felt so I could continue to participate in the cultural practice. So absolutely, it's a desensitization that if you choose to involve yourself in this, in eating animals three times a day, that is a major, major harm to the psyche and to the innocence of your soul. And when we have a whole culture telling us that this is the norm, that that's why we have the whole culture, I think, of such violence. But when you can choose to opt out and choose to eat vegan, you begin to reconnect with your own body and really honoring what an amazing, amazing thing the body is we are built for pleasure. We are built for joy. We are built for love. And so when you begin to reconnect with your body, you begin to change the way that you relate to yourself. You change the way you relate to others. And I think that veganism has the potential to change the way that we as women look at men and the way that men look at women. It's, it really has a radical potential to help us so that every person, human or not, Every being who has a body can experience joy and integrity in their own body and be able to live freely and express themselves. Because the confines that I was talking about earlier of being female and being male or being masculine and feminine, those are incredibly limiting for many people. And this is not to say that women and men are exactly the same because I definitely think that there are differences. In fact, those sexual dimorphisms are what makes us attracted to each other. So I'm not saying we need to do away with that. But if we could free up some of those aspects of femininity and masculinity that are causing harm and that are telling lies about humanity, we would be so much happier because the idea of man, the hunter, um, this dominating, you know, kind of, actually he's kind of constructed as dumb too. And um, that idea is like a smear campaign against men because we know that actually men are very compassionate and empathetic. So that's, that's a lie and we need to tell the truth about humans and tell the truth about animals. Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm just sort of wrapping my mind around this this whole idea, you know. Um, you know, as as we're trying to shift this paradigm, you know, to raise all of our awareness, to be the best humans we can be, to um, you know, raise our consciousness, you know, all of this stuff. It feels like that. Um, 
you know, if we can accomplish this, you know, that then maybe we will actually be there as, um, you know, we, we, we will have arrived, so to speak, you know, um, as, as human beings. Um, because it feels, feels like, you know, we, we, we might more easily be able to get people to stop killing one another than, um, you know, than to, you know, give up that, that uh, steak and baked potato kind of a thing. But if we could really convince people to care that much about animals, then it's, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard enough to get them to care about humans, but if we could really get to the point where the majority of the humans on the planet cared that much about animals, then we will have succeeded at, um, uh, you know, I think elevating humanity to a place that um, I, I, I guess I I never dreamed we would um we we would actually uh, we would actually get if that makes any sense you know absolutely yeah it does show us the path to a better world and it, yeah it does i think that so you were saying that we may not be able to you know get everyone to go vegan but if we've got people considering humans or um that kind of thing that some okay well Sorry, I'm, I'm off on attention. What I want to say is sometimes I hear people say things like, well, why are we going to be concerned about animals when we should be concerned about people? And I think that we should be concerned about both. So the question of war or the question of all the humanitarian causes, we can worry, we can be concerned about and address all of them together. And it might seem like, wow, this is a big leap. Could we really get everyone to go there? But I think we can start the conversation, and I think that actually most people on some level, their heart is yearning for this reconnection because I believe that we are all born with the desire to be kind. And so if we can be willing to challenge the systems that tell us humans are cruel and you just have to fight to get by and that kind of thing, I think that this is really... um, this gives us a lot of potential for shifting the way that we relate to each other. And that's something that people have been aware of for many years. I think it was Tolstoy who said something like that as long as we have slaughterhouses, we will have battlefields. And it's so true. If you can change the way you relate to those most at your mercy, those most innocent, that will radically change the way you relate to humans. Well, you know, Charlotte, I think we are making progress because, uh, and, and I mean, that's not to say we don't have a long way to go, but look at the outcry for Cecil the Lion, you know. Um, I, I wonder if there would have been that kind of outcry, you know, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, I, I think more people are becoming, um, you know, a lot more conscious uh, about this sort of thing, Um I don't know. I I I think I I think we are evolving, and I wonder. I mean, I know you were at the Council for the Parliament of World Religions. You know, we were all there. Was there any talk like this? Because that would have been the perfect Parliament for it. Because it, you know, it it the whole Parliament was about 
um, you know, e- equality and the environment and elevating women and, you know, violence and all of that. Did anybody address this, I wondered? It, it, uh, was, was this topic on anyone's lips? I didn't see the word vegan anywhere in the schedule, but I did go to a talk by Dr. Alka Aurora, and she did mention, I mean, her whole presentation was about ethics toward animals and the same things that I'm talking about today. And there was a lot of opposition from people in the, in the different religions using the same old speciesist arguments that we hear from everyone. So speciesism basically just means that you have a preference to those of your own species and it colors everything that you see in the world. And um, there were some Christians who got up and said, you know, this is this has been sanctioned by our God. He approves of it. And there were lots of different um, lots of different things brought up. And some people said, well, you can't judge me. Let's, let's not condemn each other. And so then I got up once all that conversation was done, and I said that traditions have to evolve. Traditions have to change. You can look to any religion and find justification for all kinds of outrageous, awful things that we as a human collective no longer approve of. And so they were saying that we shouldn't condemn each other. And I said, yeah, I agree with you, and I'm not condemning you, but it is okay to condemn the practice of the use of animals. It is okay to condemn the feeding of women. It is okay to condemn things. You know, sometimes it feels like when you get into this conversation, people want to talk about personal choice and don't judge me and that kind of thing. But this isn't about pointing the finger and making people feel bad. The point is that there are other beings whose lives are at stake. We're not even looking at them. We don't even see them. They just arrive on our plate or arrive in the grocery store already prepackaged. But they're suffering, their cries, their screams, their years of misery living a life that they do not want to live. Right, that is all right. ignored and overlooked, and we're in denial about it. And so I think that that's causing a lot of suffering. But, yeah, um, the Parliament did, they also had a few talks that did address vegetarianism. I don't think that they really drove the point home because if it would have been driven home, the whole Parliament would have been focused on veganism because veganism is the most simple choice you can make to, um, to create a better world for the environment. So... In terms of our everyday choices, I want to talk for a second about water, if I can, because it's a big issue in California. Go ahead. Go right ahead. Okay. So we have a lot of people talking about things like use a low-flow shower head, um, turn your faucet off when you're brushing your teeth, all these things which are great and may save a few gallons. But the average meat-eater diet, or I should say omnivore, uses 4,000 gallons of water per day. The average vegan diet uses 300. So we're looking at 300 versus 4,000. And then we're talking about things like low-flow shower heads, which they've really, it's like talking about a thimble when we could be talking about whole oceans. It's really ludicrous. And another thing is that the number one cause of water pollution in California the number one cause, is the dairy industry. So if we want to talk about water usage, we need to talk about what we're eating because only 4% of the water used 
in the world is for household consumers. When people are talking about things like um, don't water your lawn as much and that kind of thing, that's great, but that's only 4% of the pie. Over 50% of water usage is for animal agriculture. And so we could just save so much water if we all stopped eating animal products. So it's just, it's a little bit crazy, and that's actually something that I'm really passionate about educating people about. And I'm involved with a campaign called the Truth or Drought campaign. You can Google Truth or Drought or go to truthordrought.com, and you can get involved. We're inviting people to advocate for this issue at restaurants, and we have a whole Citizens Action campaign. It only takes five minutes to do when you're dining out, so please check that out. Well, and you're going to be talking um, at our Joseph Campbell Roundtable uh, this Saturday at the Goddess Temple of Orange County. Uh, you're going to be talking about this topic. Uh, I'm I'm very happy uh, to to tell people about um, uh, listeners. If you are in the Southern California area and you're within driving distance of Irvine, uh, Charlotte is going to be talking about this in a little bit more depth um, uh, at the Goddess Temple. At uh, I believe it's um, from seven to nine, isn't it? Uh, seven to nine, or is it seven yep, thirty to nine thirty? Doors open yeah. at six thirty. We will have some delicious vegan snacks, and the talk starts at seven. And we will also have plenty of time for conversation and dialogue. Well, you know, Charlotte, I, I was thinking about when, when you were talking about the suffering of animals, and I remember as a kid uh, reading the book Black Beauty. And I, you know, in, in Black Beauty, you know, it's from the perspective of Black Beauty, the horse, and how, uh, you know, I forget whether Black Beauty was a he or a she, but um, how the horse suffered um, with different owners, and most of its life it suffered, and occasionally it would have a short time with a good owner. And I, I guess I wonder, uh, are there any books out there like that? for children that, you know, not necessarily for a horse, but maybe stories about, you know, pigs and chickens and cows, you know, factory-formed animals um, as opposed to, I mean, you know, Black Beauty was basically, you know, just a horse that was ridden or it pulled a cart, which was bad enough. But to get people, you know, get people thinking about this idea of changing their eating habits, um, I can't imagine no one has come up with children's books about the suffering of, of uh, animals told from the animal's point of view. Um, do, do you know of any by any chance? Yeah, they are explicitly vegan, though. So there is one book, or there's a few books by an author named Ruby Ross, R-O-T-H, and I can't remember the names of all of her books. I know one of them is Vegan is Love. And But, yeah, Black Beauty is such a beautiful story, and that was written by a woman, and so I like that. And she, um, she actually wrote that to educate people about the cruelty involved in the use of animals. And I grew up with horses, and I no longer ride horses for that same reason. I don't want someone putting metal in my mouth. I don't want someone putting a saddle on my back. I'm really, I really fully believe in ending the use of all animals and letting them live wild and free. Also, Charlotte's Web, of course, is my favorite because it has my name in it. But that's a classic everyone knows about. <laughs> Charlotte's Web, yeah, Charlotte's yeah. Web. 
Yeah. Um, well, Charlotte, I love this topic. You know, I really do. I mean, I think you're forcing us all to think about things very differently. I mean, even just now when you said that you don't even ride horses anymore, um, I, I mean, you're you're I mean, you're really seriously, um, you know, seriously walking your talk. I mean, you were, uh, you know, you were talking about. Um, uh, animals living on the planet in a totally different way than I think probably 99% of people think about, you know. Because even if you start to think about becoming a vegan, I, I wonder if you take it to the next step. In, I mean, how do you feel about people who have, you know, who have pets? Um, is is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because, I mean, I know you'll hear some people say, well, you know, uh, I'm not their owner, they're not my pet, they're my, uh, they're my companion, companion or they're my friend or something like that. Um, does, uh, does it matter what we call our pet? I mean, if we love them and take care of them well, and, uh, or, or, or does it put us in different mindsets if they're our pet versus our companion? That's a good question, and it's been a debate in the animal rights world. There are some people who advocate for shifting the way we relate to pets, and so they have a campaign called the Guardian Campaign, and the idea is to shift the word of owner to guardian and the word of pet to companion animal. However, I do not agree with that campaign because I think those are euphemisms, and ultimately pets are just that. They are Pets, that's an inferior status. If you think of a woman as a pet, right, female, most female humans do not want to be pets. Do you think that the animal wants to be a pet? So I see, the way I see animal, companion animals or pets right now is they are refugees who deserve to be cared for. And so I am not saying set them loose in the streets and, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, but I think they're refugees in the war on animals, and we must care for them, but the ultimate goal as humanity evolves in consciousness is to let them live their own lives. People who say that, oh, my, you know, my animal and I are friends, and she chooses to live with me, and that kind of thing, that may, you know, there may be, there's definitely, there's definitely love and care and kindness there, and I have three animals myself, all from uh, shelters or rescue situations. but So I know that bond that, that you can have with an animal who is, in, who is in captivity, but they're still in captivity. They would still prefer to be free. And the other thing is they're in isolation. They don't have any choice about who is in their social group. In nature, they would get to be with those of their own kind and to form those social groups on their own. There is... Um, they really desire to be outdoors and that kind of thing. So there is a real sadness in many animals that are kept in homes. I, so ultimately I do believe that they should be wild, free, and autonomous, as should all of us. So, well, but would would that also – um, does my voice sound different now than it did a second ago, or is that just on my phone? I can hear you. Okay, um, but I all right. So I'm. I, I know you said you don't want um, you know animals to be uh, you know running the streets. I mean, how do you? I mean, how do you feel about spaying and neutering 
the animals uh, because that's obviously taking, um, you know, freedom away from them. And I guess when I think about our dogs and cats, how would they fend for themselves if they were let loose? I mean, they would, I, you know, they wouldn't even know how to forage for food, I don't think. Or would is, is there some sort of a natural instinct that would kick in? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, my brain can't make that leap. Well, the reason we have so many cats and dogs now is because people are breeding them. So if we spay and neuter and don't keep breeding them, then there won't be cats and dogs anymore. And some people are very saddened by that idea, and they think that cats and dogs deserve to live on. And um, I I guess I'm I'm still exploring the issue myself, So maybe it would be okay for them to live. They can live in the wild. There's, you know, feral cats and feral dogs. The thing is that usually humans, the reason that we can't, you know, for example, I found a bunny rabbit recently, a pet rabbit, who wants to be free, and she really prefers to be wild and free, but she's been owned as a pet, and anyone who comes across her is going to take her indoors and probably bring her to shelter. So the same thing for a cat or dog. Right now they can't be free because humans will do something to them. And so I don't know that we would be comfortable with packs of feral dogs and packs of feral cats, but they're not a natural animal anyway. So I think if we just stopped breeding them, then we could have consensual relationships with animals who are wild and free. And in that case, if they want to befriend you, they can come spend time with you and then leave on their own terms. It's all about what they would prefer, and it's all about autonomy and consent. Okay. All right. I I hear what you're saying. Um, I guess the only thing I would say is um, I don't think all dogs and cats are being bred. Um, you know, the uh, like the feral cat population, for instance. I mean, that's just sort of you know their their own natural breeding cycles out there and um you know i i forget what the statistics are but um litters of cats having litters of cats ends up with way too many cats um oh so yeah it, it multiplies very quickly that's why we need spay neuter and for feral cats there's trap and release so they they just trap them spay or neuter and then let them go right 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 okay yeah. and actually um, but i want to recommend a book to you and all the listeners, it's called On Their Own Terms by Lee Hall, and that's spelled H-A-L-L, Lee Hall, and I believe that her book is the most leading-edge animal liberation philosophy book there is, and so she she goes in depth into this idea of birth control for animals and the ethics of it and all that kind of stuff, too. Okay. Well, and... Yeah. Um, and, and just to sort of punctuate, you want us all to start thinking uh, of animals not as a thing, uh, of something, but instead someone, um, so that we sort of um, raise awareness of uh, our interconnection and, you know, these animals, um, uh, how would you say, um, you know, just looking at animals, uh, you know, uh, as as a higher level of being, I guess you probably have a better term for it. Yeah, well, just that they're sentient beings. They have thoughts, feelings, relationships. Their life matters 
to them just as much ours does to us. And when we grant them the grace to live on their own terms, we will find in our own lives more pleasure, more joy, more happiness. And I also, in addition to what you said about seeing animals differently, I also want people to see their food differently. If you're eating animals like flesh, I want you to think about who you're eating, not what you're eating, but who. Who, yeah. There was a person there. Not a human person, but definitely a personality. I mean, anyone who has experience with an animal has seen, I'm sure you can with, you have cats, right? You've probably seen they all have different personalities. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, And, um, yeah, you're really making me think about this, you know, on a a level I hadn't even uh, thought about before. Um, You know, there was just a a video I posted on my Facebook page uh, in the last few weeks, actually, and I think I paid attention to it because of you and because of you doing the roundtable, and I knew we were going to be doing our interview, but it was a, a YouTube video of Jane Goodall, and um, they were releasing uh, a chimp back into the wild that they had um, it had captured because it was very sick and it was near death's door, but they brought it back to health. And it was just this incredible video because they opened up the cage and, you know, you would think, well, the animal is just going to dart out, you know, and, and just run back into the jungle. Well, what this what this chimp does is it climbs out of the cage, it gets on top of the cage, and he's you know he's kind of looking around, and you can see he's trying to make up his mind what he's going to do. I mean he's thinking up there, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and and so I mean there there was you know there was a, a personality in there, and I and I think. So many of us, even those of us who maybe think we're more sophisticated than others and have maybe a, another level of, uh, you know, consciousness that maybe most people don't, you know, uh, we probably even still have a lot of work to do. Because I tell you, when I saw this chimp, because before by the, before this was over, I mean, it took a long time for the chimp to actually leave. And before it left Jane Goodall, I tell you, this gives me goosebumps. That chimp actually put its arms around her and hugged mm. her. And I, I tell you, it, it, it. I, I, I couldn't help it. I just cried and cried and cried. It was so beautiful, and it spoke to exactly what you're saying here. You know, um, and because who would have thought this animal capable of of those kinds of emotions. I think, you know, maybe we, you know, think of these animals as not very smart and we maybe don't think of them much in relationship. But, you know, if you study somebody like Jane Goodall and her work and, you know, she would sit out there with the animals and watch them interact with one another, um, you know, I think for people who know about that kind of stuff, you know, who study animal behavior, um, but most of us don't, you know. But if you study animal behavior, then maybe the kind of stuff you're talking about 
um, it's at the front of their mind. You know, they they uh, don't give a second thought to the fact that these animals are in relationship. That they, you know, they are a who, and you know they're not mm-hmm. a thing. And um, yeah, I I, I think uh, I, I think you're doing incredibly good work here with this subject. I I really do because you're tying in. Um, you know, animal rights with veganism and the climate. And, I mean, it's a big subject, you know. Um, Like I always say, lots of layers to the onion, and this is just um, uh, another very interesting part of it. Thank you. And I want to invite everyone to contact me, charlottecressy.com, if you would like a free guided meditation or if you want to go vegan or are curious and want to start on that path, feel free to contact me through my website and I'll send you a free vegan starter guide. Or you can just Google Friends of Animals Vegan Starter Guide and they have a free one online that you can access and um, get started. So I just want to emphasize that veganism is not something you have to do overnight. It's not something that you have to, you know, there's this idea of it being really strict and overwhelming, but it's really just get started on the path and start thinking about what is one meal per day that I currently eat that I could replace with something else. And there's so much information out there. One more resource really quickly, PCRM, that stands for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And this is a group of doctors doctors that promote a plant-based diet and they have all kinds of nutritional information one of the big questions people have is about protein and you know can I actually live as a vegan and is it healthy and PCRM is a great resource for recipes they have a free 21 day vegan um, kickstart where you get a whole package of daily emails getting you on a path to going veganism going vegan and it's really wonderful. So check out PCRM.org as well. And your website um, is your name, I think, uh, charlottecressy.com. Would that be the website um, you would want listeners to go to for some of this, like the Vegan Starter Kit and all of that? Yeah, they can contact me, email me through my website. It's charlottecressy.com, C-H-A-R-L-O-T-T-E. Well, Charlotte, this has been fascinating. Um, It really has, and I'm so glad you're going to be doing the Joseph Campbell Roundtable on Saturday uh, at the Goddess Temple. And you know what? I, uh, I I am thinking about maybe having you come out to the west side and maybe do this at the Venice um, uh, Joseph Campbell Roundtable sometime in uh, next year too. If um, you know if that's something you might like to do, I would love that, Karen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the important work you're doing in the world, and I so appreciate your support. Well, um, you definitely have my support. You've taught me a lot tonight, and uh, I know I've said before, I, you know, you're going to be one of the young women that's carrying the torch for goddess in the future, and you've just uh, convinced me of that all the more tonight. So thank you for um, for your work and for your dedication, and if there's anything I can do to help you, uh, please let me know, and um, I'm sure you'll be back on the show sometime next year. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Good night.
Good night. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, tonight's guests uh, as much as I enjoyed talking to them. And uh, just to let you know who's coming up uh, next week, um, I have uh, Martha Dinsmore. Uh, She's going to be with me um, next Wednesday. And we're actually going to be talking about Mary Baker Eddy. Uh, And, uh, yeah, that's uh, somebody in history that... um, Uh, I think you are going to be surprised to find out uh, about her. Um, uh, her, She lived her life um, uh, practicing, I think, Christian science, um, uh, but uh, she was a feminist, and uh, there was so much about her that uh, I think has been swept uh, beneath the rug. And... um, I, so yeah, she's she's one of these women that uh, that we deserve to uh, I think know more about. And um, uh, so yeah, so next week we're going to be talking about uh, Mary Baker Eddy, and then the following week uh, I'm going to have with me um, several uh, several guests. Uh, the first is going to be Marcia Scarborough, and we're going to be talking about. Um, uh, her book, Honey in the River, Shadow Sex and West African Spirituality. And the topic is officially Orishas, Goddess Archetypes of West Africa. Uh, but uh, after I chat with her that same night, I'm going to have uh, Phyllis Karat and Angie Buchanan with me. And we're going to uh, go into depth a bit about the Council for the Parliament of World Religions. We're going to talk about uh, the Parliament history and why it's so important and um, how uh, you know pagans have started playing a big part in it. And also um, this past year, the Women's Assembly that Phyllis Karat uh, was so instrumental in bringing to the Parliament. It was a major accomplishment. And we're going to be talking about uh, all of that. And uh, so that'll be the show right before uh, Thanksgiving. So uh, that about does it for tonight. And uh, I think I'll close the show with uh, one of the quotes that uh, I I shared with you in the beginning, uh, my own. And... uh, The quote is, the great she is challenging us to do what's right for the most of us, for the sake of humanity and the planet. And I should probably adjust that to say, and all the species on the planet. So um, that about does it, dear listeners. Uh, Thank you for um, all of your uh, feedback and show ideas, uh, because... um, you know that's why we have such a diverse conversation here uh because uh, my dear listeners you care and you let me hear from you and uh many of the guests on the show or you uh or you uh give me ideas uh, you know to have wonderful shows and uh i th- i thank you for being invested in the show and i mean it from the bottom of my heart when i say you are the gas in my tank so um I'll close the show the way I open the show with uh, a song from Celia called Please Forgive Us, but this time you'll get to hear 
the whole four minutes, and uh, that way you'll hear it all the way through to the end. And it's uh, so appropriate considering uh, tonight's topic with Charlotte Cressy. Uh, so uh, here we go. Uh, this is Please Forgive Us by Celia. Thank you, and I'll be with you next week.
Father, God, won't you forgive us? 